This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by... Nothing. Because at the end of the day, that's what most of us need. Yeah, I mean, come on, guys. What do you think we're going to do? Try to sell mattresses or sweat-wicking underwear to you? Advertisements suck, so enjoy the show 100% advertisement-free. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hey everybody, this is Joshua Fields Milburn. And this is Ryan Nicodemus, and that makes us The Minimalists. Welcome to episode two of The Minimalists Podcast. First off, uh, before we get started, I'd love to thank you, all of you, for making our very first episode climb to the the top of the iTunes charts. That was really unexpected. We really yeah. hoped that this thing would do well. But thanks to you, we, we hit the top 40 of all podcasts. We hit number two in our category and uh, the number one podcast episode in our category as well, which just was amazing. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for all the reviews on iTunes. We read every single one of them. And uh, thank you for making this journey an awesome one for us. Let's go ahead and get started with our minimal monologue of today. Uh, my rant this week is about irony. Now, when you call yourselves the minimalists, man, <laughs> everything you do is instantly ironic. You know, and people love, love to give you a hard time when you call yourself a minimalist, let alone the minimalists. You know, they, they find it necessary to point out every irony, every incongruity, every gotcha moment. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was writing this morning. And I was writing about an experience I had in the corporate world with my boss and how I was explaining to him what the minimalists were when he first discovered it. And as I was writing, I remembered like, oh, yeah, the very first thing he pointed out to me was how I wasn't a minimalist because I snowboarded because I had all that snowboarding equipment that went with it. And uh, that was that was within just like the first few months of the website. And then, of course, yeah, everywhere we go, they're like, hey, you guys don't really draw on a Minimal crowd, do you? You certainly don't, certainly don't sell a minimal amount of books. Your hair, Josh, it's not very minimal. <laughs> right, and, and so everything you do ends up being steeped in irony. And, and really, I find that people throw all these little cavils at, at us because they, they're trying to justify their own lifestyle by, in a way, pointing out how, how we are living as minimalists is wrong. And you know what? For some people, it may be wrong for them. It may not be appropriate for their lives, and that's okay. We're not out trying to convert anyone to our lifestyle. We want to share this recipe with you, and if sometimes that makes something ironic, then so be it. But ultimately, when dealing with criticism, I learned that that our judgments are but a mirror that reflect the Mm. insecurities of the person who's doing the judging. And so ultimately, when we criticize something, when we gossip about someone, we're just showing our own insecurities about, about that topic. So, yes, sometimes minimalism can be ironic, <laughs> but we're not trying to live like monks. We're not trying to, to live with nothing. We're trying to live what's appropriate for our lives. Yeah, it's funny. On Periscope the other day, we had that guy comment where he was like, 
these guys didn't get rid of anything important. Why are they minimalists? And Josh, you had the best comeback to that. Where you yeah, that, you're right. We didn't get rid of anything important. <laughs> we got rid of that which was superfluous. We got the excess out of the way so we could actually figure out what was important in our lives. And through that process of elimination, we found out what the important things are. We found out that health is important. Relationships are important. Creativity and passion and growth and contribution. And all of these things are really important, but most of those things aren't things at all. Let's, so let's move on to our, our voicemail our question of, of the day. In fact, we have three voicemails today, all about sort of technology and social media and everything in that realm. We'll start with a voicemail from Jeff. Hey, guys. I uh, saw your podcast one, really enjoyed it. Uh, and I did have one question because um, it seems to me that in my life right now, I'm trying to minimize things that a lot is going on with too much information coming in from different sources all over the time, through emails and Twitter and, and uh, Snapchat and uh, you name it. It's just, uh, I know you guys even have so many different sites, and I feel like I'm missing out on things if I don't keep up with everything. I think it's just cluttering my life. And just want to know if you guys have a way of kind of dealing with that and addressing, I guess, uh, information overload that's in social media and everything else uh, that uh, we want to be involved in and interested in. But it just seems like if we're not in tune with everything, we're missing out on things. It just kind of gets overwhelming. So hope that makes sense. And uh, keep up the good work. Appreciate everything you do. Uh, and uh, it's really making a difference in my life. And here's a voicemail from Emily. Hi, Josh and Ryan. My name is Emily, and I'm calling from New Orleans. I'd like y'all to share your thoughts on browsing online shopping sites or phone applications regularly, intending not to purchase anything, but instead just doing this simply to view fashion, as well as strategies to kick this habit. All right. Thanks, Emily. And here's one more message from Richard. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Richard uh, from South Jersey, the better half of New Jersey, right in the Cherry Hill area. And I, I really enjoy this podcast. I mean, I was waiting at the doctor's office, and, you know, I was spending up to an hour waiting, and I just couldn't think of a better time to spend it than to listen to how to make my life more valuable or, you know, more minimalistic. And now the question I have is, uh, nowadays everyone has a lot of technology, uh, you know, cell phones and tablets, laptops, everything like that. How, do, how can you extend the, this minimalistic lifestyle into your tech world? Uh, I just hope that you can speak on that a bit. Uh, really enjoy your podcast, and I uh, hope you get back to me. So basically, it seems like what these three callers are asking is the same thing in, in a different way. It's how do minimalists handle social media and technology? And mm. also uh, sort of alluding toward the, the fear of missing out. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, just to start with, with Jeff's, he specifically uh, brings up Twitter and Snapchat and all those crazy social media uh, outlets that we have uh, where we have this awesome bit of communication to use. And certainly it can be a great tool to use. But, yeah, it can certainly be overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, basically, I think our tools are only as good or as bad as the person using them. I've mm-hmm. used this analogy before, but a chainsaw can cut down a, a rotting backyard tree, preventing it from impaling your neighbor's home, 
or that same chainsaw can be used to hurt that same neighbor, to chop him into tiny little pieces. Or, or a, a uh, can of paint can be used to beautify your home's facade. Or you might use it to graffiti the walls at an otherwise pristine public park. And I think the same goes for technology. It's, it's just a tool. Mm-hmm. You know, we can use Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus and Pinterest and all these other places to enrich our lives and enrich the lives of others, to communicate, express ourselves, and share things that we couldn't otherwise share as easily. Or we can get stuck in that social media Bermuda Triangle, right? We can careen from Facebook to Instagram to YouTube and just stay stuck in the meaningless glow of our screens. And, I mean, I, I use my phone all the time to, to photograph gorgeous landscapes, message loved ones, uh, map out directions, etc. But it's really about the intention we have and, and how we plan to, to use the devices. And I think the bottom line is that it's up to us to determine how we're going to use our, our chainsaws and our paint cans and our technology. Ultimately, our, our tools are just tools. And it's our responsibility to ask important questions about how and why we use those tools. But, of course, you don't have to use all of them. And so some of these people are, are looking for sort of tips, like how do I identify all of these things I'm overwhelmed with? Now, Ryan and I typically don't talk about depriving yourself of, of something. We don't think minimalism, minimalism is about deprivation. But, you know, sometimes it's okay to temporarily deprive yourself so you can figure out what truly adds value to your life. And I've, I've gone through some experiments in, in, in my life. I got rid of home internet maybe four years ago, and I wrote an essay about this, uh, theminimalists.com slash internet, about my experience of, of getting rid of the internet for one month. And I'll tell you what, it was the most productive month of my life. And I ended up never getting that, that internet uh, back. And I got rid of my TV and realized that I was more productive without that. But I've also done other sort of stoical experiments, deprived myself temporarily of, say, my cell phone. But after two months without that, I realized that, yeah, I was using that cell phone not very deliberately, but I could bring it back into my life because there were some things that that really added value uh, to my life. And and so I was addicted to to the smartphone, and we we can get addicted to technology. And sometimes it's okay to disconnect so that we can move on. Yeah, I think the key takeaway here for Jeff is to ask yourself that question with each platform that is stressing you out, the ones that you brought up on the voicemail, you know, is Snapchat, is it really adding value or is it more of an ephemeral, uh, ephemeral way of, of, of pacifying yourself? That's something that I would ask with each application. In fact, that's what Josh and I do. I mean, we have Google plus, we have Pinterest, we have Twitter and Facebook. Um, we have, a lot of help uh, managing I shouldn't say a lot of help. We got a little bit of help managing those accounts. Uh, Jess does an awesome job with that. Um, But we did pick those platforms very uh, specifically. We don't have a Tumblr page that we keep up with. We don't have 
what, what, what are the other Snapchat? Snapchat. What are the yik kids? Yak. What are the kids doing these days? Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff that we avoided specifically because we felt like these platforms we had it reached the broadest audience. And we felt like we could uh, not only get the most value of it, but add the most value with it as well. You know, for for both of us, I think Ryan's favorite social media platform, I'm not sure what it is exactly. Mine's Twitter. And I get a lot of value from that. And if I were to use just one social media platform, that would be it for me. It's because uh, of the just the nature of it, the short communication. I use it to curate my news and my entertainment. and And I found that, yeah, just using one primary social media feed is a really great way. So temporarily deprive yourself, maybe get rid of all social media for a month. Do mm-hmm. what some people call a, a digital sabbatical. And if you do that digital sabbatical, you'll really realize which one you're gravitating toward, toward more uh, as well. Yeah, and just maybe stop using one at a time. If it's three different social media outlets that are uh, driving your life crazy, then just get rid of one of them and see how less crazy your life is and how you feel. And I would say the reason that we use so many for The Minimalist isn't because we find a ton of value in a bunch of different platforms. We actually don't. But we realize that just because I find value in Twitter, that doesn't mean that everyone else will. And so we use these as communication platforms as well. It, it's very likely that if we weren't trying to communicate with a, a large group of people, we would each just pick our one favorite platform and and have that. It's okay to just have one. You know, we, we, we talked about the, the fear of me- missing out or alluded to that in, in the voicemail. And I'll tell you what, we're always going to be missing out on something. No matter what you do, no matter how much information you consume, there is an infinite amount of information out there. And you're going to miss out on roughly 100% of that information, no matter how much of your time is spent on Instagram and, and Twitter and, and everywhere else. And no matter how often you're reaching into your pocket and, and incessantly checking the email on the smartphone and, and uh, text messages and Facebook posts, et cetera, you're still missing out on everything else that's out there. Yeah, Leo Babauta, he's got a, a essay that he wrote a while back. You can find it at zenhabits.net forward slash 39th. It was in regards to his 39th birthday, but there's a great paragraph in here that says, the truth is we could run around trying to do everything exciting and travel around the world and always stay in touch with our iPhone and Crackberries and work and party all day long without sleep. But we could never do it all. We will always be missing something. And right now, as Josh and I are recording this podcast, we are missing out on 99.9% of the other things going on in the world. But we've very deliberately chosen to do this podcast and to add as much value as we can. And yes, we're ignoring everything else right now and missing out on everything else. Because the truth is, is we will always be missing out. Yeah, and so ultimately, pick what is going to add the most value to your life. And sometimes the way to figure that out is by temporarily depriving yourself. I'll, I'll end with this in terms of uh, my temporary deprivation. I, I wrote an essay last year called Most Emergencies Aren't. And I'm going to read a, a few problems I had and a few solutions I had to the technology that was creating the problem in my life in the first place. This is most emergencies aren't. A few years ago, after chucking my television and jettisoning my home internet, I locked my cell phone in a drawer for a few months. 
Boy, oh boy, did I learn a lot about my lonely, distracted self after removing those pacifiers from my reach. And then here's a list of what I called smartphone problems. Number one, addiction. I was addicted to my smartphone, constantly twitching for the next, quote, important email, viral video, or Facebook message, ignoring the world in front of me for a universe of zeros and ones. Number two, disconnection. Our technology is wonderful. It has enabled us to connect with the infinite expanse of the world, but it has also given us a weapon to sever our deepest connections. True, we can tweet with folks from other continents. In fact, I've met most of my closest friends online. But in doing so, we sometimes isolate ourselves from the person sitting across from us. Number three, dependency. Like a child's security blanket, I needed my phone to feel safe, calm, whole. And just like that child, when I lost it, man, I lost it. Panic struck each time my hand involuntarily breached the pocket where the device normally waited for me. Number four, impulsivity. The opposite of intention is impulse which accurately described my former relationship with my smartphone. I acted primarily on impulse, always reacting to what my phone instructed me to do. I wasn't using the phone. The phone was using me. Number five, this is the last problem that I had with the smartphone. Urgency. My cell phone came equipped with a false sense of urgency which helped me construct a facade of spurious self-importance. Of course I needed my phone on me at all times because I'm so damn important that, you know, what if someone needs to get a hold of me right now? In reality, that's nearly never the case because most emergencies aren't real emergencies. Truth be told, I'm an outstanding friend, but if you have a real emergency... I'm not the best guy to call. If your water heater breaks, call a plumber. If a burglar strikes, call the police. If someone gets injured, call 911. Once the professionals have quashed the crisis, leave me a voicemail. I'll be there soon to help pick up the pieces. And here's some solutions I came up with. When I eventually reintroduced the cell phone into my life, my everyday life, I realized that the phone was never the problem. I was the problem. So I developed a, work, a framework to help solve that problem. Today, while I'm certainly not perfect, I do my best to use my smartphone intentionally. First, this is uh, distractions. Email and Facebook no longer reside on my device, nor does anything else I perceive, perceive as a waste of time. And apps I haven't used in the last month are deleted too. Number two, interruptions. Notifications, both visual and auditory, do not exist on my phone. No banners, sounds, or alerts of any kind. I don't need to be, quote, notified, which really means interrupted, every time someone double taps a photo on Instagram. Number three, barriers. In the presence of friends, I leave the phone in the car or at home because... I've realized when we place our phones on the table in front of us, 
we actually send a subtle message to our loved ones. You're only important until something or someone more important interrupts us. Removing the phone, however, removes an invisible barrier from our interactions and shows the people we care about that we do, in fact, care about them. Number four, tethers. At home, my phone has its own home, docked on a charging stand. I use it only at that location when I'm home, allowing me to otherwise untether from the, the device, which helps me tether myself to more important tasks, writing, reading, sleeping. Number five, tools. The phone is a valuable tool, but only if it adds value to our lives. Nowadays, I use the phone for texts, phone calls, music, podcasts, audiobooks, GPS, and anything that truly serves a purpose. Uber, hotel and flight apps, a notepad, a dictionary app, and the glorious Kindle app which is now located in the spot formerly occupied by my Facebook app. That's a really great hack, by the way. If you're incessantly checking one app, replace it with one that's much more meaningful, like the Kindle app. I find myself reading a lot more when I used to uh, just check Instagram or Twitter. Yeah, that was time. a great tip you gave me that I use now. It's like every time I go to Twitch to go on social media, I'm like, maybe I should just pull up and read a couple pages of that book. Yeah. Yeah, definitely adds more value. And the last solution I came up with was uh, something called Nevers. And of course, as a reformed man, there are a few things I'll never do with my phone now. I'll never text and drive again. I'll never reach for my phone while standing at a urinal again. And I'll never use my phone in bed again. Because the bed is meant for two things, neither of which involve call logs, or text messages. We are all fighting our own battles with technology. Look up from your device and you'll see a sea of lonely people lost in the tantalizing glow of their screens, trading intention for impulse. Our wonderful gadgets have given us access to overwhelming convenience, but if we squander that convenience, we'll find ourselves crushed by the weight of our impulses, searching pixels for meaning when there are countless reasons to live on this side of the screen. Yes, technology has undoubtedly made our lives better, so much so that we wouldn't want to live without it. So we must find a way to live with it. Preach. <laughs> you know, um, there's a whole chapter on technology in our book, Essential, uh, which is an essay collection that we put out in 2015. It was actually a, we did three, had three different books. There were a bunch of different essay collections, and we unpublished all of them, and they're no longer available because we wanted to put it all into one book and, and really have a lot of value in one tome for everyone. So um, Jeff, Emily, Richard, we're going to send you a copy, an autographed copy of Essential Essays by The Minimalists. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me. Emily and Richard, that's right. <laughs> they had voicemails too. No, it's funny. I, I did want to address Emily's voicemail. I thought it was really funny how she talked about, you know, what about those shopping apps? Mm. Especially if you want to just go on and look at the shopping app, not intending to buy anything. What are your thoughts on that? And I, I, I'm not going to lie, I kind of chuckled when I heard that because I would have said, of course not. You don't need shopping apps on your phone. That's... Uh, that's crazy, but but yeah, if you're going to tempt yourself by using 
shopping apps, all I can say is, to, uh, using shopping apps to, uh, to keep up with fashion, all I can say is uh, you're probably setting yourself up for for bringing unnecessary things into your life. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, we are what we desire. And if we're constantly sold this meme of success and beauty through a shopping app or you know Pinterest or Etsy or, or something like that, those apps aren't inherently bad. We use Pinterest to post beautiful art and architecture, which I, I look at as art. But if we are, uh, if it's an impulse for us to, to look at those throughout the day and desire those things, then maybe we're not desiring what will actually enhance our life. Yeah. And Richard talked a little bit about equipment, and that made me think about upgrades, how we are all tempted to upgrade. It's like, I know I was especially when that, that iPhone 6 came out. I was like, Wow. Look at that thing. It's It's got, I don't know, what does it have on there? Gorilla Glass and a couple other cool features. It's got a bigger screen. And when I really looked at it, you know, the iPhone 6 didn't do anything more for me that my current phone did. And I'm sure there are some listeners out there who would argue differently and say, oh, there's so many things you can do with the iPhone 6. Here's why you need it. And I would say that's awesome that you find that tool valuable in your life. But I didn't. But those are the kind of questions I ask myself before I upgrade any of my technology. Yeah, you have to be honest with yourself and remove it temporarily, see how that affects your life, and then bring things back into your life more deliberately and constantly ask that question, does this add value to my life? And and, and if it doesn't, you have to be willing to let go. So hope you enjoy those books, guys. Hope these uh, answered your questions. And if you do enjoy the books, uh, minimize them afterward. Hand it off to someone else who can find value in it. There's no need to hold on to it, obviously, once you've gotten value from it, because the value is in the words, not in the, the physical artifact itself. Yeah. You ready to move on to the lightning round? Yeah, so this is uh, the third segment of our podcast is the hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round. This is folks on social media. They ask us a bunch a bunch of questions about you know whatever they want, but um, it's lightning round questions with long maundering <laughs> answers usually. <laughs> usually. And so if you if you have a, a question for us or a comment about how you handle social media or technology, before we move on to that, just uh, give us a call. We'll have our phone number at the the end of, of this podcast, we'd love to hear some of your tips on how you can improve social media. And if you have tips for Jeff, Emily, or Richard, we'd love to get your tips for our comment section at the end of the podcast as well. So, yes, uh, we have a bunch of questions from Twitter, at The Minimalists yes. on Twitter. Ryan? So, here are some questions from some folks who have used the hashtag AskTheMinimalists. Abigail I'm sorry, Abigail Nelson writes, how do you approach minimalism when your spouse has no interest in owning less? Minimize the spouse. What's next, the next question. question? I'm just kidding. We're just kidding. Don't minimize your spouse. That's silly. Uh, you know, with my girlfriend at home, her and I have a very good understanding of each other. And we've worked on that ever since we started dating. We've been together for over two years now. So first, uh, I chose my significant other very, very carefully and made sure that we had the same values and beliefs, which I'm sure everyone else has done. But sometimes 
Uh, we, we may change a value here or there. And that's okay because the partner that we're with, if they truly love us, if they truly appreciate us, if they truly respect us, uh, they would at least support us in our endeavors. And that's how Mariah and I are. Uh, you know, she's got, I think on the Today Show, I said she had 20 pairs of shoes. She actually has about 30 to 35 pairs of shoes. He counts them each week. He does a full inventory <laughs> of, of Mariah's what, shoes. She made sure. Tells her what, he, what she can keep or, or can't keep. That's right. No, that's, that is not how it works. No, she actually corrected me after. She's like, I got way more shoes than that. <laughs> you know, Abigail, here's what I'll say. And um, I'd love to send you a copy of um, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. It was our very first book, but there's, uh, we just published a, a second edition of, of that book and really enhanced some of the chapters there. But one of the chapters, one of the five values in our, our lives that Ryan and I have uh, has to do with relationships. And so I think that'll help. But ultimately, uh, you, you have to understand the point of this all, the purpose of minimalism isn't about just owning less. And so you say that your spouse has no interest in owning less. Well, owning less isn't the point. I don't have any interest in just owning less. Well, my interests are, are in doing something more meaningful with my life, and that's the point. And so helping your significant other identify the benefits of getting the excess stuff out of the way might help him or her to actually clear some of the clutter. Now, their perspective may not be the same as yours. They might have a different personality or different desires. But as long as you have similar values, I think you can get to the same place even though you have a different route of getting there. Mm -hmm. Now, if you do have radically different values in life, well, then you're probably headed in different directions and you have to ask some more difficult questions about, about that relationship then. You want to move on to the next question? Yeah. Spooky Wren says... Any advice for artists who are struggling finding balance with supplies, materials, and staying minimalist? I, I've actually been asked this question before. I think more broadly, let's look at someone who has a collection. Maybe it's a library. Maybe, uh, maybe you've got a huge library full of books, whatever it may be. Uh, it's funny. People come up to us all the time. They're like, I'm not as minimalist as you because I have a lot of art supplies or because I have a lot of books. But at the end of the day, if those things are adding value, there's nothing wrong with holding on to those things. Uh, like with art supplies, I know that uh, a lot of my artist friends, they have things that they may not use for a year or two. Uh, some of my organized friends, they've got a specific uh, space set aside where they keep all of that stuff. And when that space gets full, they will start to uh, remove some things and replace it with other uh, different uh, equipment or supplies that they want to that they want to use in the future. So making rules like that can certainly help. You know, I, I, Ryan and I differ quite a bit on on this topic. I, I think personally, I think that collecting is is dangerous. And <laughs> if you just pull up a, a dictionary or a thesaurus, you, you'll find that a synonym for collecting is hoarding. And, and so I think collections are inherently dangerous uh, as well. They, they aren't necessarily evil, or, but, but they can get in the way because we, we can justify them very easily. And so what I say is if you have a, a collection that truly adds value to your life, that brings you so much joy, that, or, or you, you're able to use it quite frequently, 
then great, hold on to it. But don't justify it by saying, well, it, it completes my collection. Well, your collection doesn't mm-hmm. actually complete you. Mm-hmm. And so if you have all of these art supplies and materials or whatever, maybe temporarily, temporarily remove them from your life. Do what Ryan did with his packing party mm. and, and box up all these supplies and go get the ones that you actually use over the course of, well, like what Ryan did with 21 days. Or maybe it's 30 days for you. Or maybe it's 90 days for you. We have something called the 90-90 rule. Have I used this in the last 90 days? And am I going to use it in the next 90 days? And if so, great, I'm going to hold on to it. And I, I do that for clothes a lot of the time or a bunch of other seasonal items because it covers all seasons. And, and the truth is that by limiting yourself often, uh, especially with, with art, limiting yourself enhances the creative process. And so maybe try that out. So, so box some stuff up so you don't actually have to get rid of it or donate it right away. But you can find a way to let go of it temporarily and unpack the things you truly need, and then let go of the whatever else remains. Yeah, I mean, really, it just comes down to forming a plan and, and really being clear on what you want to get out of that plan. So when it comes to the art supplies, what is your result? What do you want? Do you want to feel better because you have less art supplies and, and it's less cluttered? Uh, then great, use that and form a plan around it and, and stick to it and, and whittle that down. Yeah, and don't assume you have to get rid of something in order to be uh, more of a minimalist. Right. If you find value in it, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've totally met minimalists with book collections, no matter what Josh thinks. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, all right, third third question here from Frank Martin. Frank, Mar- Frank Martin asks, what was the most difficult thing for each of you to get rid of? You know, people will ask that question, and they're, they're like, uh, was it the big screen TV, or you know, was it your Lexus, or was it your whatever? And the truth is, the most difficult thing for me to get rid of wasn't a physical thing. It was my identity. You know, the first question we tend to ask other people is, what do you do? And we get so tied up in the answer to that question, the, the title that's on our business card, that we think that's who we are as a person, and that becomes our identity. And, and really, for me, I had to change that over time. And the way I changed the answer to that question was I stopped a- answering with my job title because I had an impressive job title. I'm the director of operations for 150 retail stores. But ultimately, I realized that I could answer that question with what I was passionate about. And so then I would say, you know, I'm passionate about writing. What are you passionate about? And it would totally change the direction of that conversation from us talking about work to us talking about something we truly cared about. Yeah. For me, it was my cat. It was really hard to find my cat a good home and get rid of him. Uh, <laughs> no, in, in, in all seriousness, uh, and that was a very difficult thing. It was one of these decisions I had to make because I was enjoying his company when I was home. But the, that was the problem was I wasn't home often. We were going on tours and I had to leave him with my mom for a couple of weeks. And then he'd come back and be all angry and I could just see his health deteriorating. So I knew I had to, to do something. Uh, that was, that was really difficult. And that's an answer I've never given before. So a question from Facebook, Sissy asks, how does someone expand their vocabulary. Well, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I teach a writing class called How to Write Better. And if anyone's interested in that, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, 
promote that here, but it's at howtowritebetter.org. Uh, but the one thing that I talk about is we want to expand our vocabulary, not to impress others, but for the sake of precision. If we are armed with a larger arsenal of words, then we can find the right word for the right situation. And if you really want to expand your vocabulary, well, you know, one of the best ways to do that is to learn one new word every day. And there are a bunch of places you can go to to do that. I mean, you can get the word of the day from your computer or from dictionary.com. For me, the way I like to do it is I, I tend to read a lot. And any fi- time I find a new word that I, I don't know or that I do know but I don't regularly incorporate into my vocabulary, well, then I find a way to use it, that word, 21 times in one day. Now, you have to wedge that into conversations to use it 21 times if it's a word you've never used before. But it takes 21 times to build a habit. And what happens is the good words tend to stick. And the ones that just don't work out for me, they fall by the wayside. So I think it's a great way to expand your vocabulary. And if you want a bunch of writing tips, uh, my How to Write Better class has a free Facebook page and uh, a free Twitter page. And I tend to tweet uh, free daily tips. Also, uh, my adjunct professor, Sean Mahalik, does a bunch of uh, really cool stuff with both of, both of those accounts. So you can just go to howtowritebetter.org and find Facebook and Twitter to get a bunch of writing tips. On Instagram, Jessica asks, how do you explain to someone that you don't want things for gifts, but just their company or food to eat or useful things? Yeah, that's definitely not an easy situation to to approach, but there is a solution. I What I've done is I have approached friends or family members and have just had the conversation. Uh, It'll start out something like, you know, this year I'm really trying to keep things simple and I want to make the most out of my holidays. So my plans for this holidays is to, if you really need something, let me know. But my plan is to maybe take you to a movie or let's go out to dinner. Let's have an experience together. Or uh, I bought... Uh, Mariah, uh, some concert tickets for Christmas. So, so having those conversations are not easy, but going to your loved ones and, and having that approach, uh, certainly again, if they do love you, if they do want you to be happy, uh, they will, they will support you with Mariah's mom. She, she asked me, what do I get you as a minimalist? What should I get you as a gift? And that's exactly what I told her. I said, you know, if you can just cook an amazing meal, make some lamb meatballs. That would be awesome. And that's exactly what she did. She made some lamb meatballs and it was really, really good. And we all enjoyed it. And uh, she made me some snacks and stuff that uh, she gave me for Christmas. But ultimately, I think it comes down to expectations. You know, and I wouldn't set that expectation on Thanksgiving for Christmas. Set it way in advance, eight <laughs> months, 10 months yeah. in advance that, hey, I know Christmas is way down the line, but I want you to know right now that I truly don't need anything and that the best present is presence, and if you're willing to spend the holiday with me, or if you're willing to gift an experience or some sort of consumable, I'd love that, but I really want to be able to spend my time with you, and that's what's most precious. I don't need another necktie, another pair of cufflinks. I don't need some widget that isn't going to add any additional purpose to my life. What I need from you is you. Yeah, and I would say anyone who reacts negatively to either of those approaches, uh, then I would be questioning whether or not it's someone 
um, that I should hang out with all the time, <laughs> meaning meaning that people still may get you gifts and people do still get me gifts. My grandma sent me this like big ice scraper and I just kind of smile and nodded and sent her a, a thank you. Um, and, and, uh, and then I, I donated it. God, I hope she's not listening right now. No, she, she would totally, she would totally appreciate that. Um, because you've done a good job with, with setting expectations. Exactly. exactly. On Instagram at the minimalists, uh, Mandy asks, when you're trying to reduce the stuff that you have, do you find it better to just donate it or sell it? Kind of a time versus money question. Yeah, I would agree. This is definitely a time versus money question. I find it, yes, I find it best to donate it or sell it. Yes. <laughs> you know, really, I think it's up to you. When I, when I was, I had a lot of debt back in my corporate days. Even though I made great money, I had six figures worth of debt. So eBay and Craigslist became really great friends of mine because I used both of those tools, those resources to sell, especially large items I wanted to get rid of. And, and that would allow me to get you know, money that I otherwise couldn't that I could use to pay down many of my credit cards and, and just different debts that I had. But if you don't have a ton of debt and you're looking to get rid of the stuff pretty quickly, you know what? You know, donating it somewhere to someone who can use it is great. Ultimately, it's about finding the stuff a new home. Just because you don't get value in the stuff doesn't mean that someone else won't get value. And so let's find it a new home where someone else can enjoy it. Yeah, when I was donating stuff after my packing party, it felt really good to give just like a couple little gadgets, like a nice, uh, nice little uh, handheld video camera that I had. Uh, there were some like extra cell phones that I, that I had uh, donated, but it felt really good to think about someone coming across these awesome finds <laughs> in a uh, in, in a donation warehouse somewhere. It just felt really. I, I know that when I was growing up, and I would find uh, these great little deals. Uh, shopping at those places, it, it made me really excited. So it ma- makes me happy thinking that there's some kid who's coming across some, you know, cell phone that's eight years old, uh, but he's really, really happy that he's got access to uh, a cell phone to, you know, for whatever. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rebecca's daughter, uh, my partner, her daughter's two, and she has a little fake cell phone <laughs> and absolutely loves the thing. Pretend she's calling me on it all the time. And, uh, she calls me to ask to talk to herself, which is <laughs> interesting, but um, I try to explain that to a two-year-old. But yeah, you know, sometimes our old toys, so to speak, can be actual toys for, for someone else. And it's interesting. I, I was at uh, Christmas recently at, at Becca's um, family's house, and, you know, there are a lot of, of toys there from generations past. You don't have to hold on to those things, though. As, as what I've learned is you can go on eBay and buy a whole box of toys for $20. And then when your kid grows up or grows out of those toys, you can put it right back on eBay for 20 bucks mm. and treat that as your, your storage cabinet. You don't have to hold on to them in, in perpetuity. Yeah. Amen. We're still uh, Instagram. At The Minimalists, Katie asks, how do you guys define value? What does value mean to you? As a minimalist, every possession I own serves a purpose or brings me joy. And that's what I mean by adding value Mm -hmm. to my life. Mm -hmm. Does it serve a purpose? Can I use it for something? Does it have a function? Or does it just really bring me joy? And that can be music. That can be artwork. 
And no matter what it is, I have to be honest with myself. The things that add value to my life today may not add value tomorrow, so you never get there. You don't own your 1,000 items or your 100 items and get your official minimalism certificate. No, you keep asking that question. Does this add value to my life? And I'm 34 years old right now, and the things that add value to my life now will be will probably not add value when I'm 54 years old. And so I have to keep asking that question. Let's move on to Periscope, which is also at The Minimalists. At JDRKX asks, the five values in your book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, are health, relationships, passion, growth, and contribution. If there was a sixth value, what would it be? You know, I've been having a ton of fun on Periscope this past month. Uh, throughout December of 2015 and January 2016, we're doing live events on Periscope. Tuesdays with the Minimalists. Tuesdays with the Minimalists. And so you can join us at 7 p.m. Eastern for Tuesdays with the Minimalists, where we do lightning round questions live on camera. You know, I think we probably both have different answers for this, but we just uh, published the, the second edition of Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, and really just expanded on the five values in that book. I think those are those are higher order values. So if I were to look at what's a more baseline value, I think ultimately it's something like security, and that can mean a bunch of, of different things. Security can mean uh, safety. It can mean do I have shelter? Do I have clothing? Do I have food? Uh, and then do I have things like liberty and happiness and freedom? And so if I were to add a a sixth value, it, it would be, it could be any of those, but I would really, if I were to narrow it down, I would say freedom and, and in particular, a, a particular kind of freedom, financial freedom. And I don't mean making a bunch of money so that you're happy. I don't think that's the key to happiness, but not being bogged down by the constant stress that money puts on us, the constant worry. It's one of the things that we fight about with our loved ones, with our business partners, etc. But when we take the stress out of money, it makes life a whole heck of a lot easier. So we wrote an essay I'd love for you all to read. It's called Financial Freedom. And it's one of uh, the most beneficial things that I know we've written because we've had thousands and thousands of people who have commented that they have gotten a ton of value from it. So that's at theminimalists.com slash freedom. And what Ryan and I talk about is how we got out of debt, how we started planning for the future, and how we stopped worrying about money. Even though when we walked away from the corporate world, we made appreciably less money, but we're able to regain control of our finances. Yeah, it's funny when people hear the term financial freedom, they assume... Well, that must mean, you know, having a million dollars in the bank or having a hundred thousand dollars saved up or whatever it is. And I would say if you're debt free, uh, that you are 80% of the way there to financial freedom. Uh, now getting debt free, that is certainly a long road. Uh, it was, it was a long road for Josh and I, and, and certainly people are all over the spectrum with how much debt they have, but, but yeah, definitely check out that essay. If you're, if you're looking to, uh, Get financial freedom. It's it is a it's a great plan that we both follow. What about your value? If you were to add one value to the five values, Ryan, and my value, uh, I would have to say is probably creation, because 
I just, I feel so much better when I create something unique and something that I really, really love, whether it, it be a, a, a country song. <laughs> just, so, just you, so. you should put some context to that <laughs> with, with with you, uh, uh, yours and, and Mariah's sort of backstory on on your, your yeah. country song. Writing. Yeah, so that's it's a little side hobby that me and my girlfriend have. We are writing a country album. We've got uh, three or four songs right now. And you don't listen. You don't listen to country. I music, do not by listen to country. No, it all started on a on a bet that I could write a country song within twenty minutes, <laughs> and I did. And when I was done, I was like, "Wow, I really like this song." <laughs> so uh, as a as a as a joke, kind of, we started writing an album together. But but uh, every time we come up with a new song and I'm playing it, I'm like, "Wow, like if I could get a band behind this, this sounds really good." But but anytime I have those moments, uh, whether it's writing, whether it's um, uh, going snowboarding and, and, and getting a, a new trick down or whatever it may be, creating something new really, really fuels my fire. I, I think creation, um, can go along with that, that cultivating passion aspect. Yeah. Uh, but ulti- ultimately, um, I, I have found myself before where I've been cultivating passions, uh, but not creating for a while. And, and I've noticed that when I start to create stuff, I feel better about myself. It's a great antidote to con- consumption as well. Yeah. The more we consume, the less we create. But of course, the opposite is also true. The more we create, the more, fulfill- more fulfilled we feel, and therefore don't feel the need to fill that void with mindless consumption. Let's move on to the... So we have a P.O. box. If you want to write us a postcard uh, we prefer those to uh, email. In fact, we, we don't really do the whole email Q&A thing very often just because it's you know, it, we can get bogged down with that kind of stuff. That's, so that's why we, we get t- enough emails already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't find email very meaningful, and, and so I try to limit that. But we love getting very intentional postcards. So you can go to theminimalists.com slash contact and find all of our mailing information there. Evan from Bartlett, Illinois writes, I'm a senior in high school and I have a dilemma. I love what you say about not having a job or a career. (laughs) Wait a minute. Uh, And how people should do what they're passionate about. Wait a second. Um, Okay, (laughs) we can clarify those in a minute, Evan. Um, That's maybe an overly simplistic view of how we look at the world. Um, we don't think there's anything inherently wrong with having a job. I'll tell you, I think a career can actually be pretty dangerous. And, and here's why I say that is often our careers are six out of 10. We get comfortable with our career, but many of us don't find our career meaningful. We, and so we don't experience enough discontent to make a change we don't experience enough pleasure to feel fulfilled, to feel happy, to feel that sense of purpose or mastery or autonomy that we all need when we are creating. And so having a job's okay. I think we all need to pay the bills, but I would prefer to have a, a mission. And so um, you, you said here how people should do what they're passionate about. I don't think you should do what you're passionate about. I think you should find a way to cultivate a passion. And so we'll continue with your your question here. The problem I'm having is I'm passionate about multiple things, and I don't know which one I should follow, especially since it will ultimately affect my college pursuits. 
At first, I tried to do it all. I tried to be Superman. But now I realize that's not realistic. One of my passions is violin. And I need to practice, ideally, about five to six hours every single day. I'm also extremely passionate about music composition. And my dream is to be a composer. That would make my day. But other than music, I'm incredibly passionate about theater, literature, and writing. All pretty heavy stuff. The current situation is that in order to achieve the proficiency required in violin, I will need to give up pretty much everything else. I'm stretched too thin. Even though I love everything I'm doing, it's just too much. I'm really struggling to find time for my family and my friends. I don't have a social life whatsoever. Well, here's the thing. You're right. You are, you are stretched too thin. And what you're saying here, the current situation is that in order to achieve the proficiency required in violin, I have to sacrifice everything else. That's true. But I just wouldn't say violin. I would say you have to pick a category. And it's one of the common misconceptions we make, especially before we're age 30, and many people who are older than 30 as well. But in high school, you're in a great, great spot, Evan, because let's say you're 15 years old, and you've got like 65 years ahead of you, right? Yeah. And you can pick a passion and really cultivate it over the next 10 years. Right. And then when you're 25, you can pick a different passion and cultivate that passion over the next 10 years. To be young again. And then when you're 35, you can pick a third passion and cultivate that for the next 10 years. And you, over the course of you know, several decades, you'll have many passions that you've pursued. And I would actually encourage you to get obsessed with some of these things. I, I, think, yeah. I think that's what passion is. It's one half obsession. It's one half love. And you need to be able to balance that out. And you can't balance that out when you're spread too thin. Here's the key. Pick one thing. It sounds to me like it's violin. Yep. And really focus on being passionate about that. You have to drudge through the drudgery. You're not going to, it's not all going to be ponies and rainbows all the time. But that's when the real payoff comes. Because what I used to do throughout my 20s is I would think I was passionate about one thing. Oh, I'm really passionate about this short story idea. And then I'd write, 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 write. And then, oh, wait, this has gotten hard. Writing's hard. Why do I want to do something that's hard when I can do something easy, like get on Facebook or, or watch TV or, or pacify myself with my phone? But there's no real payoff in that. The real payoff is from drudging through the drudgery, putting in the work until you get to the other side of that drudgery. That's when you're going to experience the payoff. So pick one thing, and I'd say focus on it, Evan. You want to move on to the reader comments? Absolutely. So if you have a question for us, you can always call in to our phone number or you can, uh, of course, use the hashtag AskTheMinimalists. And we have a bunch of comments from our previous episode and uh, just comments in general. So if you want to comment on this episode, all you have to do is give us a call at 406-219-7839 and we will air our favorites and also send some autographed books to some of our favorite comments. Now, well. I know there are some people out there who want to call in and ask us a question, but they're really scared about having their voice on air. What I will say is we have an excellent editor. So if you call and you ramble like I do during these podcasts, Sean will edit it and make it sound beautiful. So you can rest assured that we will not put you on air and make you sound 
uh, incoherent. We will make it coherent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and if you do want to write a comment, the best place to do that is on iTunes. We read every single review there. So if you find value, that's a, a great place to do it. We also post this on uh, YouTube. So Alexandria writes, I love your podcast. However, I wish you'd put it on iTunes so I don't have to keep my screen on. That's a good idea. And good thing we are doing it. And so you can find the podcast on iTunes. You can also find it on SoundCloud, and pretty soon you'll find it on Stitcher. I hear Stitcher's popular with the young kids these days. (laughs) I don't (laughs) even know what that means. (laughs) All right, so uh, SoundCloud.com slash The Minimalists. Marbles and Jam writes, I declutter regularly, but this podcast is a good reminder that I keep looking at the same splash guard thing in my cupboard over and over and thinking I should donate it, but I never do. No more. I just put it in my donation box. Congratulations, Marbles and Jam, for taking action. Absolutely. That's awesome. And on iTunes, O. Otero writes, Best seven-second intro ever. Well, thank you. I couldn't agree more. We think advertisements suck. And our P.O. Box uh, postcard this week, Tara of Columbus, Ohio. Go Ohio. Writes, I want to share with you how your book, Everything That Remains, influenced me to begin the process of making a lifestyle change two and a half years ago. I was looking for real stories to relate to and to develop my own roadmap for change. I took the first steps out of the corporate grind in 2014. I was single, making good money, but I was paralyzed by fear. Yeah, this is a, it's a pretty long letter. What I really liked about this letter, uh, she goes through kind of the steps she had taken, and then she jumps to where she's at now. She writes, I am two years out of corporate America now and self-employed with encouraging success. However, my income was reduced by nearly 65%. I am coming to the realization I will likely have to move to a cheaper rental. I have had to turn down travel offers, and I often can't afford to dine with my good friends. But now I set my own schedule. I accomplish things for people by the end of the day I actually like most of the people I work with. And I don't schedule anything before 10 a.m. I guard my mornings. I work hours that are productive and convenient. My daily life now reflects my values so much better than one with a comfortable income. I am full of gratitude for being non-institutionalized. I think I've figured out a better way to live, and my life had to get smaller to do it. And I just really, really love that last line. Uh, My life had to get smaller to do it. And at the end of the day, that is what it takes sometimes. I I, uh, was a little confused when I was reading her letter. I didn't know if it was like a positive or a negative thing because she started talking about how she had to miss out on travel, how she had to reduce her salary, how uh, she had to turn down going out to eat with friends. But ultimately, what she is writing about is how those decisions helped her really come out of this this crazy uh, situation that she was in. So thanks for writing that. We really appreciate you, Tara, and keep up the great work. Finally, to round out this segment, let's go ahead and listen to a comment voicemail from Vanessa. Hey, guys. This is Vanessa from Ohio, and I just wanted to call and say thank you because um, 
back in 2011, 2012, my husband and I moved from a 1,000-square-foot house for the two of us to a 500-square-foot studio because of the market downturn and not selling our house as we thought we would. We had to downsize, and I was in tears with my, on the phone with my mom, and we found out we were expecting at the same time, which was something we were hoping for, but also not hoping for in a 500-square-foot uh, studio apartment. And when she sent me your link to your blog and said, as a joke, maybe I should um, read up and because I was being forced into that lifestyle. But um, that month of transition in our lives was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to us. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Vanessa. So ultimately, I mean, what it sounds like is Vanessa there, you know, was kind of going through a similar thing as Tara from Ohio, also from Ohio. She and her husband had to downsize. They were forced into minimalism. They were stressed out. But minimalism allows us to remove some of that stress. We're no longer so focused on the outside world, and that allows us to focus a lot more on what's going on inside us. Yeah. Ultimately, we want to understand what's going on inside us so we can add as much value to other people. It's funny because um, at a couple times at our meetups, people have, they've brought up the thing of minimalism, selfish. You're always talking about doing things for yourself. And, and ultimately that's where it starts. If you want to produce awesome value in the world or, or do some amazing things, ultimately you do have to be taken care of first in order to help others. But it's not just about gratifying our own needs. We think the meaning of life is growth and giving. Mm-hmm. And so being able to contribute to the world around you is one of the most important, one of the most fulfilling, and one of the most uh, growth-inducing experiences we can have. So the more we give, the more we grow, and the more we grow, the more we have to give. It's a really beautiful cycle. Amen. Let's move on to our added value segment. Uh, This is the minimalist recommendations for this week. uh, Every year I publish a, a list toward the beginning of each year where I look at my favorite albums from the previous year. And so I won't list off all 15 from 2015, but I will mention a few of them here. Uh, Matt Carney's album, Just Kids, was amazing. Uh, Sufjan Stevens was, uh, uh, that album's called Carrie and Lowell. I haven't been a huge Sufjan Stevens fan in the past, but man, did I really, really love this album. Uh, I love Drake's new album, too. That was number one on my list, actually. If you're reading this, it's too late. And uh, a bunch of other recommendations. You can find all of those at theminimalists.com slash sound, as well as my previous year's recommendations. Uh, this is sort of backed by popular demand. We've had so many people who tweet and, and ask, are you going to publish a list? In fact, this year it was my, my former spouse, uh, two days before she gave birth to her twins, <laughs> Uh, early January, she tweeted me and said, have you created your, your top 10 list or top 15 it's list? It's an awesome list, dude. Every year, like I look forward to it, man. It's such awesome reviews. Well, I appreciate that. And so I, I've got uh, 15 of them there and then some honorable mentions on the list. And I'm currently listening to a group called Aquilo. They have an awesome EP and hopefully one day they'll put a 
an album out, and it'll make it onto one of these lists. So theminimalists.com slash sound, check it out, and let me know. Uh, you can comment there as well uh, on, on my Google Plus post, which is where theminimalist.com slash sound will take you. I'd love to hear some of your favorite picks of 2015. Yeah, for me this week, I've got to give it give a shout-out to my friend Robin Devine over at shemakeshats.com who knitted me this delightful wool hat that I'm wearing right now. Let's be honest, she has knitted you at least seven different hats. <laughs> and it's not because he's hoarding hats. <laughs> it's because he loses. Somehow he Man, loses. Man, Millie, why you got to call me out like that? <laughs> he loses these hats. Okay, constantly. so she made me this hat and several others that I've lost on ski trails and concerts and whatever else. I've actually had this one for about a year and a half. She did text me. I swear, like uh, around Thanksgiving, right before you know the snow started picking up here, she's like, "Do you need another hat yet?" So uh, yeah, she she does know me, but that's just it. She makes awesome hats. Uh, everything that um, she sells, uh, it, it goes towards uh, a lot of it goes towards charity. Yeah, she's she's doing this amazing thing. She's trying. This is how we actually met her, and at Asymmetrical Press, we our publishing house, we actually published uh, one of her books called "She Makes Hats." Mm-hmm. Um, she's doing this awesome thing. She's trying to knit 10,000 hats for the world around her. Now, some of those go to homeless shelters and, and different places, but some of them just go to people who are doing cool stuff, and she wants to say thank you for doing what you do, and that's how she met us. Yeah, she makes great hats. If your noggin is cold, check out shemakeshats.com. Awesome. Well, I've got a few final updates before we close it out. Later this month in January, the 23rd through the 25th, Ryan and I are finally fulfilling our dream of becoming baristas, at least for three days. You can see us uh, three caffeinated days with The Minimalists. If you go to theminimalists.com slash bandit, you can find all of the information. Our friends Joshua Weaver and Sarah Weaver, an awesome married couple in St. Petersburg, Florida, are opening a coffee shop there. And it's one of our favorite cities in the world. We're excited to finally go back. This is the perfect time in January. And we're going to make some drinks for you. We're also doing a charity screening of our documentary, uh, Minimalism. And unfortunately for you, that documentary is sold out. But don't worry. Very, very soon, we're going to have all kinds of really cool information for you on how you can bring our documentary, Minimalism, to your city. It will be in theaters on May 24th, 2016. And you can help us bring our documentary to your city or your suburb very soon. Stay tuned for details on that. You can find more about that film and a bunch of excerpts at minimalismfilm.com. And if you're looking to connect with some like-minded people in your area, you can check out our free local meetup groups at minimalist.org. We left behind a hundred free local meetup groups in eight different countries the last time we went on a big tour. And a lot of those groups are flourishing And if you don't have a group near you, don't worry. That's okay. We have an online city, so you can meet with folks online as well. Just go to minimalist.org to find your city. If you found value in this podcast, we really hope you do, then uh, please comment on iTunes. Let us know what you like, what you didn't like. Uh, You can also subscribe to The Minimalists via email. And if you want to support this podcast, it's 100% advertisement-free because of people like you. You can just donate a buck over at theminimalists.com slash donate. You can find links to everything we mentioned today in our show notes, theminimalists.com slash podcast. And as always, 
We hope you found value in our podcast. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. All right, folks, that's it for today's episode. This podcast was produced by Sean Harding. Our theme music was written and performed by Peter Dorn. For more of Peter's music, visit minimalists.com slash Peter. If you have a question or a comment for The Minimalists, give us a call at 406-219-7839 or post your question on social media using the hashtag AskTheMinimalists. We'll see see you you next time. time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab oh i bet that you'll be fine without it so tear your eyes away or tear